Hey everyone, welcome to episode 113 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. As you can probably tell, I'm still uh, fighting that urge to call it the Switch Focus podcast, having just rebranded. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Brown. Hello. How are you? I am. That's my answer. <laughs> Um, we've got a a bit of a weirdly uh, horror-themed episode this week. We're going to talk about the Devil May Cry series, uh, Castlevania, and Hellwarders, uh, with the possible exception to the horror theme being Whipsy and the Lost Atlas, although it could be terrifying in a different way. We'll we'll find out soon. And we got no real updates from the previous episode, no Switch news to talk of. Um, there's something about a wholesome direct coming up I saw but I don't know much about it um, coming up in the next few days uh, it's, it's like an indie showcase I don't even think it's Nintendo published is it? No it, it's some indie publisher that's doing it I don't even think mm. many of the things they're going to be talking about are actually going to be Switch games but they're calling it a wholesome direct so yeah mm. it might be worth watching yeah and you will most of the indies come, come to Switch anyway so yeah it could be worth a look um, so with that, we'll just jump straight into what we've been playing in the last week. Okay, uh, so we'll we'll start with me. Um, so just as a disclaimer, I've been watching uh, the Castlevania anime on Netflix, the latest season, and that may or may not have informed a lot of what I've played in the last week, uh, as you can probably tell from the, the style of the things. So I'm going to start with uh, the Devil May Cry series. Uh, I picked them up on sale, they were half-priced, still a little overpriced, if you ask me. Uh, most of Capcom's output has uh, released to higher prices than everywhere else, and yeah, uh, I, I just fancy playing these in the wake of uh, the Castlevania series, so it seemed a good time to pick them up. Uh, so Devil May Cry, uh, created by Hideki Kamiya, uh, who was then at Capcom, now at Platinum. Uh, he this was his game immediately after Resident Evil 2. Urban Legend says that it began life as a Resident Evil spin-off based on a bug that they encountered while creating Resident Evil 2, but I don't believe that to be true based on what I've read in the past couple of days. Um, my history with the series is that I'd played one a demo of one of the games back on PS2 and I cannot remember for the love of me which one, uh, but I never bought into it. Uh, my first Devil May Cry was Devil May Cry 4 on Xbox 360, which I loved despite not not knowing what the hell was going on or who anyone was. Um, having played one and a half of the series, I'm, I'm still struggling with that. Uh, and I also loved Ninja Theory's DMC Devil May Cry reboot, which I know a lot of the hardcore fans did not, because they're, they're a little whiny about combat systems, but uh, I thought it was great. And I really loved the look of Devil May Cry 5, which is kind of why I started these. Um, you've probably gathered in a lot of these cases with these old series that, that I've never played before. I always want to go back to the early ones and, and get the context of the story. Uh, so yeah, so that's why I'm there. Um, I also came into this uh, after playing the original Bayonetta, which is another cameo creation, so um, I kind of knew what I was expecting. Uh, in a lot of lot of areas. Andrew, have you had any history with the series at all? I played the first three on PlayStation 2. I did mm -hmm. not like the first two. I do like the third one, though. Interesting. So, um, the first one, uh, story is based ever so loosely on the Divine Comedy 
which informs main, many of the facets of the story, mainly character names. Uh, Dante, for example, is is the devil hunter for hire, um, and he's also been looking for whoever in the underworld had killed his mother and brother. Uh, he gets hired by uh, a violent lady called Trish, uh, who is dressed terribly, um, but looks a bit like his dead mother. And she offers him a job after attacking him, which she claims is a test. Uh, and he figures this is as close a lead as he's come to finding out uh, who the who the murderer is, which is uh, a bad guy, a god called Mundo. Oh, sorry, a devil called Mundo. Uh, and they go to his castle and, and try and figure it out. As a lot of these games were back in, in those days, it's it's a little light on, on story. There's this loose plot that takes you through. Now, in terms of gameplay, I was very surprised about how much of Resident Evil's DNA was still in this. Um, in terms of like the the camera angles, it doesn't have pre-rendered backgrounds. It has 3D environments, but it, it restricts you to those Resident Evil style camera angles. Um, you also have like a you're exploring this castle. There's like a Resident Evil style map. You have to find the right keys to get into new areas and unlock more things. And there's some bits of the visual design as well that sort of really hark back to to uh, Kamiya's other creations. One of the things uh, that people complained about with the the reboot, Ninja Theory's reboot, was that uh, the combat wasn't the same and it wasn't as deep and all that. And surprisingly, I found this one to be very simplistic. Uh, so there's one melee button, um, which the attacks change when you swap weapons as you unlock new ones. Uh, and then you have two gun buttons for some reason. Uh, and all the weapons have different uses and are effective against different enemies and all that. It's fluid, but it wasn't as tight as I'd been led to believe. Um, Dante feels like too light to be like precise when attacking and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so it wasn't, wasn't quite the, the tight combat experience that others had made me believe was there. Um, there's a lot of, there is some nuance though, so there's uh, like the devil trigger meter, so you build up this, this power. Um, and depending on the weapons you have at the time, you, that changes your devil trigger attacks, and uh, that's where a lot of the variety comes in. Uh, you also get orbs by killing things and items, and you can use them to power up Dante and, and other areas, plus by uh, items, healing items, and things like that. And that, that's where that's really where like I'm seeing the basic DNA of Bayonetta. In this series, just that structure and the how the levels play out and how how the chapters are bookended and all that sort of stuff. It, it just feels structurally like Bayonetta. Now, in terms of the plot, people have always made out that the plots to these games are like extremely wacky, and uh, I found this really disappointing in that respect. I, I love mm-hmm. Bayonetta just for how out there it goes. This felt really tame. Um, possibly because I'm coming into it after Bayonetta, but it, it didn't have that um, the wackiness certainly that I experienced in uh, DMC4 either. You need to get to Devil May um, Cry 3. That game is yeah. wacky. <laughs> wacky, wacky. <laughs> Good, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, on the visual design side of things, I know I mentioned that earlier, but uh, a lot of it is like European Gothic medieval setting, which uh, that also seems to run through the series and into to Bayonetta as well. I, I, th- I think that's just a uh, Hideki Kamiya uh, thing uh, that he loves and it, it sort of carries through in a lot of his games. 
Um, I did find that the platforming bits were very terrible. Um, I didn't have an issue with this in Bayonetta, but I know you weren't a fan there, but this this makes Bayonetta feel like Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, it really uh, does. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played the game in like 13 years, but I remember being, even back then in 2007, 2008, whenever it was I played it, I was supremely unimpressed with Devil May Cry. I did not understand what the big deal was. <laughs> yeah, I'm disappointed given the the uh, praise that the series gets, especially pre DMC4. Um, I, I guess I enjoyed it from more of a series context perspective, um, which is always a risk when you go back to to try, you know, like old versions of what have become beloved franchises. So I think in that regard, and especially having come from, you know, being a big Bayonetta fan, I think it was probably impossible for it to impress me too much. Um, it was neither as off the wall as was promised, and, and its age just meant that it, it was merely okay to play. But it was it was an interesting experience seeing like those design elements and how they carry through, especially in the, you know, the lead designer's uh, future games from there so uh, so then yeah I, I started Devil May Cry 2 pretty much immediately after now unlike the first game uh, Devil May Cry 2 has two characters uh, Dante and Lucia each with their own separate campaigns I understand Lucia's is like a shorter remix version of Dante's um, before I started I asked on Twitter who I should start with and instead of an answer I just got a wave of negativity about Devil May Cry 2 uh, in general which didn't really help me make a decision, but you know it was interesting because I'd always believed that the the first three, especially, were you know um, very highly rated uh, character action games. The fanboys hate Devil May Cry too. It's astonishing how much they loathe that game, <laughs> uh, and that's what I'm finding now. So I started with Dante because he's the character I knew. I had no context as to who Lucia was or who I, or why I should care. That that sort of come up in the story a little bit. Um, apparently, according to Wikipedia anyway, this had massive development difficulties. Uh, they put a new team and an unnamed director on it, and partway through development, Capcom looked at it, hated it, and then switched leads laid on, which might account for some of those uh, elements that uh, people dislike about it, or especially the fans dislike about it. Um, I saw one of the criticisms was that the, the high ranks were too hard to get, which also surprised me because that's the sort of thing that people tend to boast most about in these is, is hitting those high ranks on every level. Uh, I'm not too far in, I've just hit chapter 5, uh, but compared to the first game it's coming across incredibly po-faced compared to Devil May Cry 1, uh, and that's saying a lot considering I was disappointed with how wacky that game is. Um, Dante feels less mouthy uh, and it just feels less stylish overall. Um, but the combat I'm enjoying more it feels more robust and weighty um, and you, you seem to have more options right from the beginning of the game uh, I like the new button layout there's a proper dodge button this time you don't have to be uh, aiming to do a proper dodge uh, you can keep holding to, sh to shoot which uh, was an improvement um, I had to, if you wanted to do that in the last game you have to play it on easy which I, I didn't do I didn't want to do that Although so far I'm finding there isn't as much variety in the weapons, I'm hoping that improves. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where I am with that one. Hoping for a, a, a big uh, uptake in, in quality there, but yeah, from, from all accounts I've heard it's, it's not very good. Uh, and someone 
who did hit me with that negativity on the game when I asked who I should play as, they said I should skip and go to 3, which echoes what you said about (laughs) 3 being the best of the original trilogy. Now, just as a a wider thing that hit me was uh, the cost of upgrades. Some of these moves, like, cost, like, so much uh, currency that you're never ever going to get them in the first playthrough if you want to like keep up the pace with health and uh, with your devil trigger um, that was also a thing that happened in the Bayonetta series that, that seems to be like a very uh, deliberate thing to try and get you to play it multiple times I'm probably not going to <laughs> with with these but it was just uh, one of those um, like series and creator characteristics that, that, that struck me here I didn't realise how close it was to Bayonetta in that respect uh, so yeah, so that that's Devil May Cry. Um, I'm probably going to pick up number three after that, that was still full price, so I didn't didn't bother at that point. Um, I'm hoping four comes to Switch as well because that'd be cool to play, you know, at least the the early ones all in one place. Uh, yeah. So uh, Andrew Whipsy and the Lost Atlas. Uh, I've been looking at this one on the store a bunch of times. It looks like. Uh, well, the main character looks a lot like Kirby. Uh, the level design reminds me a lot of Super Mario Brothers too. Uh, what's this? What's this one about? How is it? Uh, Whipsy in the Lost Atlas, and Whipsy is spelled uh, Whip S E E Y, so it might be Whipsy Whipsy E E. I'm not really sure how to pronounce this character's name. But... I was gonna say it might just be in a Yorkshire accent. Yeah, Whipsy. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> this is a retro platformer, another solo-developed game, uh, but the production values on this one are actually really impressive. This looks a lot like an old Kirby game, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it stars this little pink blob of a character who is actually a boy who was reading a book one day and got sucked inside the book somehow, never-ending story style. and meets a princess who gives him a whip and sends him off on this mission. There's actually no dialogue, there's no exposition, there's no text. Uh, This is all just stuff I'm inferring from the opening cutscene. And then you just go off through these levels as this pink blob character with a whip, and you can jump on enemies' heads and that'll kill them or you can hit them with the whip and that will also kill them and they will drop coins if you get 100 coins you get an extra life and you just got to navigate all these levels it's not a particularly challenging game i found but i've i've also been playing nes style platformers my entire life so uh, (laughs) there might be just a skill barrier i've surpassed there uh i i got through this whole game when i was doing i still do first hour recordings for our youtube channel I, I was done with this game in 40 minutes, so I just started a new game and just played for 20 more minutes <laughs> to get to an hour. <laughs> but uh, this is another one of those platformers I bought for 99 cents, two dollars, and I was I was really happy with it. Actually, it's a it's a great little game from harkening back to the very early 90s from that era of 8-bit platformers. Uh, it looks really good. It plays really good. Uh, and I was I was pretty happy with it. There's very little to complain about here in Whipsy and the Lost Atlas. Nice. I might uh, look at that next time I see it on sale. Um, I also bought a bunch of those um, like 
cheap and sale things this last week so i might have uh, some of those in coming up in future episodes uh, i think some of them were because i bought game you know games from the same publisher previously that seems to be a popular uh, sale tactic on switch so yeah there's a couple publishers that do that if you bought one of their games you can get the other ones that they have for 50 to 80 percent off so i've got <laughs> i got a ton of games from those deals uh, one of them was like 15 cents which are then mm-hmm. i paid for with my coins because i'm a cheapskate <laughs> uh okay so the uh, other game i've been playing uh was castlevania uh, the original as part of the anniversary collection uh, again wondered it because i uh, i've been loving the castlevania anime um and again i like to go back to the beginning of things so uh obviously you know i famously had a lot of issues with bloodstained ritual of the night uh which was what I was hoping was my way into that Castlevania-style uh, platformer. It was not, because uh, of technical issues. I have to admit, I've been tempted to go back to it again now. But uh, So yeah, unlike what the series became, you know, as a exploration platformer, uh, part of the Vania and the, the fake Metroidvania genre that people call these things, uh, the early games were just more like platformers, uh, you know pretty linear this this first game is just you know level by level uh not really exploration you start each level bare except for your your character's whip simon belmont's whip uh and then along the way you'll find secondary weapons power-ups and the idea is to find a suitable weapon booster and lots of hearts to use the uh the secondary weapon before you get to the boss the thing that struck me with with this game, uh, I'm pr- I'm presuming you've you've played this, Andrew. Many many times. Cool. Uh, I've never beaten it, but I've, I've played it a lot. So, um, you remember when I said I it took me a while to get used to the uh, jumping in Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, which was the eight bit precursor. <laughs> this is where that jumping started. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah, but you know what? I'm finding this one easier than the Bloodstained one. Yeah, which took me by surprise. It feels more responsive than I was expecting. Yeah, but once you jump, you're committed to that jump. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's very true. Um, and uh, yeah, and because of that handling, I, I ended up liking this one a lot. Now it is an old game, so you know NES games back in the day were particularly difficult. This collection has saves coming. As a precaution, I was uh, saves saving at the beginning of each uh, stage transition. Um, and then tried to master it all the way through, you know, to get to the boss and, and trying to do it that way, uh, which I really enjoyed doing. And then I found out that it has unlimited continues. <laughs> so I, I didn't even yeah. need to do that. <laughs> uh, so that was a waste. But I did technically then go through without losing a life. But, you know, uh, you know, as some people think I did, I, I in no way beat this game because I, I did the saves coming thing. Now, the I, I really enjoyed the boss fights in this uh it's a bit of a like a, a video game version of the song monster mash because you've got like frankenstein's monster you've got medusa you've got mummies and and more as you lead up to uh dracula himself yeah i uh i really liked it overall uh, as I, I thought i was gonna have a really difficult time with it just because it was age but i feel like it still holds up fairly well as a an old 8-bit platformer um the one criticism I had uh, is just boils down to like those old design philosophies is that it has the timer 
which I hate and I didn't notice in the first level. Uh, and although the levels are pretty linear, I still want to take my time, explore and look for items and things. Uh, I ended up like at that first boss with like 50 seconds left, which was not fun. Trying to figure out the pattern for that and, and beat it, but I did manage it, the the old bat. So I kind of wish the timer wasn't there, but you know, it's it's an old school game. It's going to have those those elements of challenge to them. Yeah, I really like this. I didn't think I was going to, but uh, it, it definitely wasn't the chore I thought it was going to be, and I, I was uh, delighted that it had the unlimited continues in the end. I thought that was that was neat and not something that was that common from that era. Um, I did start Castlevania Two: Simon's Quest. I won't, I won't yeah. go I won't go too deep into it, but I absolutely love it so far, and it's a, a massive step up um, graphically. And it's this is more of an RPG, really. It's like a it. It's it giving is, me, yeah. it's giving me Zelda Two vibes, without the the overworld map. In many ways, it's a lot better than Zelda Two, but yeah, but it, it's a even more obtuse than Zelda Two. <laughs> I'm finding that, um, and uh, the currency is hard to scrape together. So I'm I'm finding myself doing a bit of grinding uh, on the way to the next village, so I can buy items and and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I seem to have accidentally started it similar to someone I know on, on Twitter and they were posting about how they they would have had no chance uh, playing this without a guide. So, Well, it doesn't help uh, that some of the villagers will just flat out lie to you. Like, that that's not a bad translation. That's just something that they put into the game for flavor. And <laughs> that did not come across in in uh, the translation or in the manual, if you even get a manual in the 3ds version which i doubt you do Mm -hmm. yeah some of the villagers they don't like you so they lie to you so (laughs) you got to be careful which clues you're following from clues you get in town Uh, i i suspect i'll end up using a guide for this one and you know these are all games and i I don't feel too bad about that so uh but yeah i i I think this one's going to be great i i I like it so far a lot uh the one thing i did want to mention actually going back to the first one the music is amazing that uh, mm-hmm. the old chip chip music on these games is so sometimes it can age badly some sometimes these things can just still sound awesome and this this is in that uh that ladder camp i i, I really love the music in these so yeah uh, i'll go more into depth on uh castlevania 2 next time when i finished it i believe it's as short as the first one so uh it just depends how much of a, a challenge it presents i guess uh, but yeah, I'm planning on working my way through the the games in this uh, anniversary collection. And then maybe I'll uh, give Bloodstained another chance. Hopefully, it's had a couple more patches. So that's Castlevania. Now I know you've been wanting to play this one for a while. I think Hellwarders. Yeah, Hellwarders came out last year, and it was a game that I almost got just so I could have something to talk about that week. But I ended up playing something else. And uh, the physical version was on sale for $10 this week, so I, I, hmm. I grabbed that. <laughs> and this is the second game I played this week. Uh, Hell Warders is a, a dark fantasy tower defense game about some random kingdom somewhere that is invaded basically by hell. Uh, they come through portals into different areas, and you play as this order called the Hell Warders, who are teamed up with this magic lady who has these magic crystals that can summon 
armies, basically. <laughs> just little <laughs> little soldier units that act either as pikemen that you can put in the middle of pads or uh, like conjurers when they hit enemies. They put a slow spell on them so they slow down or you can summon uh, ballistae that fire arrows in a straight line or you can summon sorceresses that shoot fireballs every few seconds that explode for AoE damage. It's a tower defense game. <laughs> uh, but it also has uh, some third person 3D action brawling in it. You can play as one of three characters. One of them is uh, a sword and board guy who can block and emit flames with his shield and he's also got some pretty sweet sword attacks. There's another guy who's this old man who is a rambly old coot man with rambly old coot dialogue, but he's also <laughs> this huge muscular guy with this massive hammer that he can swing around. He's got pretty good range on it. He deals a lot of damage. I enjoyed playing as him, but uh, the character I ended up playing as the most was this kind of rogue who dual wields shotguns. I liked him because I could stay out of range, so that, that felt like the safest way to play the game solo. Uh, so that was mostly what I did and I'm still playing on normal difficulty and I'm still I'm only on act two of it looks like there's four acts uh, uh, but until I got to the first boss and there actually is a, a, a an out and out boss fight that you fight at the end of the first act I didn't have any problems with anybody getting through my defenses to my crystal uh, again it's a tower defense game so you uh, enemies come through portals around the map and before each wave you get time to spend the currency you earned in the last wave to build more towers uh, to stop the demons from reaching the crystal at the center of the map and destroying it. If it gets destroyed, game over. You have to try again. Um, and until I got to the first boss, who was just a gameplay change I was not expecting, uh, I had absolutely no problem keeping enemies away from my crystal, so the challenge doesn't really seem to be there on normal difficulty, but that, that's good because the less damage your crystal takes on each attempt, the more of these little orbs you earn, and every orb you earn is basically a level up for your characters so you can develop their individual stats. Luckily, the stat changes aren't permanent. You can just, if you decide you don't like how the character is built, you can just take points back out of a stat and put it somewhere else. I really like systems like that versus RPG systems where it's like, oh, you built your character wrong? You gotta start a new game. Screw you, <laughs> buddy. I hate those. I hate those yeah. games. Uh, but um, And uh, also the more orbs you get, the more special towers you unlock once you're done with the tutorial. Uh, it, it's not a great looking game. I suspect that they brought it down a lot to get it running on Switch, but it does run really well, which which is what really counts for a game like this. Um, so it, it seems like an average tower defense game. Uh, I'm not over the moon about it, but it's serviceable, and I, I think if you're into tower defense games, you'd enjoy it, and if you're just looking for a dark fantasy action RPG, it works well as that, too. Nice. I, I must admit, I had a look at it a couple of times, but I didn't realize it was tower defense, and that is is not my genre. I don't know what it is I don't like about them. Yeah, not sure, but uh, yeah, never been my thing. Okay, uh, I think we'll jump in for a brief uh, village visit 
didn't put it on the show notes because I, you know, I wasn't expecting to make that much progress. So uh, after beating the game, I've I've got the uh, terraforming tool. I, I last week I talked about a project that I was working on that I didn't want to talk about until it was done. Uh, it's kind of finished now, and I did post a picture on Twitter. I created a football stadium on, on my island. So the top right corner of of the uh, island is now uh, a stadium took me ages to buy the public seating which looks like you know stadium seating i've got uh two levels of uh seating there i've got the goals i, I used the custom uh design editor to do all the pitch lines uh lots of flourishes like uh my wife's game had a, a whiteboard with football tactics on it so i bought that immediately uh, and then last night i spent time building a club shop using the uh the shirts I designed based on the Liverpool tops and displaying them around and there's a little cafe area I'm, I'm quite happy with it so I'm starting there and that's where I'm working my my way out to sort of just really refine the uh, the island in the way I want I'm going to have to spend a lot of money moving villages uh, my house will be next I've redirected rivers to get them away from the areas I need uh, yeah a lot of work to be done before I'm happy with it. How is your island going? Have you, you dropped off at all yet? I'm still playing every day. I haven't missed a day yet, but cool. I'm also not particularly motivated to start terraforming my island yet. I still have mm-hmm. not done a single thing <laughs> for that. I moved a couple characters' houses uh, out of the area that my first big project is going into, and then I, I just haven't taken the time to make that commercial district that I've been talking about for mm-hmm. over a month now but <laughs> uh, I, I have kept up with other aspects of the game like I said I think I said in our last recording I did finish the fossil wing of the museum mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to stay on top of all the fish and bugs as they get phased out every month uh, I think I have everything I can do there for the moment and uh, I finished paying off my house couple days ago that was exciting i've never done that in an animal crossing game uh thank you stock market (laughs) yeah i've i've got uh i've just got the attic which i've converted into the the bedroom Mm -hmm, that's where mine is too i'm actually like since i I, i'm trying to display all the trophies you get and you get a lot of rewards for finishing different aspects i I don't really want to call them side quests but i guess Mm -hmm. side quests is the best way to describe them uh i'm trying to have all of those rewards out so i need a lot of space so i'm, I'm yeah. turning my top floor my attic into like kind of like basically a studio apartment mm-hmm. i've got a couch and a tv up there i Same. haven't put a, a bed up there yet <laughs> um and it's got a little kitchen area and then i put a bunch of like partition panels and there's a, a bathroom behind that area and there's a washing machine up there uh, yeah, I've just I kind of slapped it together. It's not done yet, but that's basically what that is. And then the rest of the house is uh, probably going to be trophy rooms after a while. I've got all my trophies down in the basement right now, but it's going to spill out as I start getting more and more and more trophies. And my left room is an arcade that I'm building right now, but I'm probably going to end up taking that down at some point. And then I still yeah. have my holiday room, which is still filled with Easter stuff. <laughs> my, my, my my basement's going to be the arcade, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, I just haven't got that. I've got like 800,000 left to pay on that uh, on the attic, and then I can get that final final <laughs> upgrade. Um, yeah, I've 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 sort of worked out a little system with just chipping away at paying paying that off where um anything that i've got in my pocket that's you know up to a, 
uh, like uh, 10 grand goes into the mortgage anything to the nearest thousand goes in the savings account so then that's hmm. like saving for my turnips as well every Sunday so yeah but I had terrible luck with the turnips this week I, I didn't break a hundred on any day and I had to rely on help from a, a friend to get uh, even just seven grand profit which was disappointing but mm. that's what happens wow well, the past the past couple of weeks I've been visiting my friends islands and i have a lot of twitter friends and some of them are nice enough to leave their gates open mm-hmm. a lot of the time in the past couple of weeks i've been pretty lucky i've just visited friends islands every day until i found 300 plus prices so i made a pretty good profit on the stock market yeah between me and my wife we've only had one uh, plus 300 uh, in like three weeks so yeah i'm due one which would be nice because uh, <laughs> i really want to ch- my own stock market on my own island has gone over 200 a couple times but if it's ever gone over 300 uh it was on a day i, I was no longer checking prices because i'd already <laughs> sold all my turnips uh and we both visited oh no sorry just me i visited craig uh our editor and composer i visited him during the week um which was hilarious uh, he brought me medicine because I, I get stung and i don't bother fixing it <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't either. It's like, big deal. It'll go away tomorrow. <laughs> and he dropped it, and then uh, just because of the clunky menu, I dropped it back in front of him by accident. Yeah, he he had a, a ball for my stadium, which which I wanted. So. <laughs> it's too bad, because in the first Animal Crossing, there were actual balls that you could play with. It's too bad those ah. aren't in this game. Yeah, that'd be nice. But yeah, still enjoying it, still playing it. Uh, I'm... I'm just now hitting that point where I'm going to completely redevelop everything. As you predicted, I'm destroying all the bridges that I created. Uh, so yeah, so that's the thing. I'm waiting for one to go, so it's just like a bridge in the middle of land with a block of water either side. How does destroying bridges work? I've wondered about that. Because I still just have my, my first bridge there. It's all it's there. <laughs> but So you talk to, to Nook, uh, and then he charges you uh-huh. 10 grand for the privilege. And then hmm. he destroys it the next day, and you can't do any other construction p- projects around that. You have to wait for that to go, and then you can start right. the next one. Um, so it's a bit okay. annoying. Not as uh, simple as I was expecting. I thought you could just destroy it with the terraforming or something, but yeah. Uh, and I've got three in total, which I'm going to get rid of. Yikes! Uh, and the other, the the other thing is as well, like you can. Using the terraform, you can make a bridge anywhere and pretty it up with the paving and build some walls. So it's not like you know you need those specific bridges, um, especially not till everything's in place. So I kind of yeah wish I hadn't bothered paying for those because that's money that could have gone on the mortgage. But live and learn. Uh, so yeah, so I think that's it for our uh, village visit, and we'll we'll check back in in the next episode. Okay, Andrew, what are you playing in the coming week? Well, I wanted it to be Xenoblade Chronicles Remastered, but uh, COVID-19 is delaying the physical release a few days for me, so I'm mm-hmm. probably not going to get it next Friday like I wanted to. <laughs> so, But I, I'm stubbornly holding out for that physical version. So next week, what I'm going to play is uh, there's an indie take on the Paper Mario series called Bug Fables, the Everlasting Sapling. I'm going to play that. Oh, nice. I've seen that. It looks, it looks interesting. Um, I'm just going to carry on with Castlevania and, and Devil May Cry hopefully I might be on the third one by this time next week um, I'm getting Xenoblade 
uh, physical copy coming uh, this sometime in the next two weeks. Uh, it's because I've played it before. I don't want to commit to playing it, but I will start it. You know, for just to refresh the memory for the show and everything. Um, I did actually start Torna, the DLC for Xenoblade Chronicles Two, the other week, but then I was still in the mood for turn-based strategy, so I was playing. Uh, uh, Mutant Year Zero on my Switch. That's still ongoing in between Castlevanias, so uh, I'll, I'll come back to that. that I want to beat that one before I revisit the first Xenoblade, so yeah, that's where I am with that one. Uh, yeah, and that's it. Thank you for listening to episode 113 of the End Focus podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get noticed. You can also listen on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and other podcast services. Uh, make sure to check out our new sister shows as part of the Game Podular Network. Uh, they're called PlayState, PlayStation Podcast, and The Power of X. No prizes for guessing what console that one covers. Uh, be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all this are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the shows, uh, or the network rather, you can buy us a coffee, or you can become a Game Podular Patreon. Uh, details for both of these things are on our website. Thanks in advance for your support. This episode was edited by uh, Craig Windle. You can follow him on Twitter at CraigiddyCraig. Uh, and you can also follow his music career at Wimbles at Dawn. He uh, he does all our chiptune interludes in the show. Uh, and I'm sure you'll agree they're all awesome. Uh, and you can follow the both of us individually on Twitter as well. I'm at Flame Roast Toast, And Andrew is at Play Critically. <laughs>